Hello, everybody. Welcome back to your Heart in the Pain NBA podcast, the NBA podcast where Windows settings don't fuck up every setting I had on recording. And we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host, Matt, again, joined by Michael. It's that time of year, you know, the NBA preseason literally just started. So we've got about a month left, which means a month to go through our predictions for the upcoming season, team previews, as well as all the fun things that have happened with Media Day. But before we get into any of that, let's give a special shout out to our sponsor for this episode of Hard in the Paint Podcast. That is Mountain Dew Black Label. Now, you might enjoy the regular taste of Mountain Dew, but if you enjoyed a more full-bodied, deeper, darker flavor, uh, I would suggest the Black Label. It is Mountain Dew, as you know and love, but crafted, uh, cask-aged with uh, dark berry flavors. They actually use a raspberry rosewood uh, in in uh, handling that Mountain Dew, so it gets that nice, robust, aged flavor. Uh, you can pick these up, of course, at your local grocery store or wherever you enjoy various Mountain Dew products. Hashtag sponsored, and uh, feel free to let us know how you feel about Mountain Dew Black Label in the comments below. So, before we get into... The beefy boys of our first team previews. Just a couple quick news topics that you may or may not have missed uh, since the last time we spoke. Uh, probably my favorite out of this list is you might have noticed that Luka Doncic was a Nike athlete for the last two years. And this offseason, his Nike contract expired and it was not renewed. So Luca is now a sneaker free agent, the upcoming reigning rookie of the year. Uh, so where, where, what shoe company do you think Luca goes with, Michael? Uh, does he go European? He very well could. He's got the international marketing. You know, he speaks four languages. I mean, Zion got a $75 million deal, and he's not even played an NBA game yet. So he's got to certainly get... A multi-million, hundred million plus deal from Adidas, maybe. Is Luca the youngest sneaker-free agent in NBA history? Mm, technically, no. Right. Uh, I mean, what about like okay, discounting like high schoolers or fresh outs? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe based off of years in the league, but maybe not based on age. You know, some of these guys are kind of young. That's a good point. I think he goes Adidas, personally. Why do you think he went off the Nike? So, supposedly, uh, his contract just expired, and Nike didn't approach him to restart the contract. So, it was more of a he-got-dumped kind of thing. Yeah, he got a bit dissed. Yeah. Even though he was rocking them pretty well last year. He was doing PG3s most of the year. Uh, who is KP with? Porzingis is Adidas boy. And where do you think Mark Cuban ties into this? I feel like Cuban's smart enough to see the international marketing. Probably going with not Nike. Probably leaning more towards Adidas. Or maybe like the off-ball Puma. Um... What is DeMar DeRozan? I thought DeRozan was Nike. So I was thinking, like, could you imagine if the biggest 
uh, Maverick, Star is Adidas. And then Harden, obviously Houston. And then if they cornered the market on San Antonio as well. Texas being an Adidas state. I mean, 2020, we could be flipping Adidas, dude. We could be flipping the state. I think it's smart. I mean, he's European. Europeans love Adidas. Chinese love Adidas. And KP's Adidas, so it all work out. Um, speaking of Adidas um, and Europeans, uh, Jokic, after his Olympic, not Olympic, his FIBA sort of international play, he got on interview with his uh, native media organizations, and he actually kind of blasted the U.S. sports market for uh, interviewing stars too much, treating them like... Uh, royalty, basically. Yeah. Royalty and sort of caged animals and like too much value on their opinions when it comes to other topics. Uh, basically echoing the shut up and dribble narrative from, you know, nine months ago. Uh, good look, bad look, decent point. What do you think? Uh, I think it's one of those where somebody who grew up outside of the U.S. system uh, lending perspective on American values. It's not necessarily like a basketball thing. It just seems like an American point of view thing where uh, yeah, like the emphasis of uh, wanting American celebrity is like a big thing. Also, um, like our culture just wants people to be stand out more and more individualized, you know, compared to... Yeah, that. exactly, right? So all yeah. that kind of just kind of fits together. Um, but maybe he's got a point there. I mean, maybe we do treat him too much like rock stars all the time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is like the flex on the player empowerment era, right? I mean, this is what everyone sort of like, uh, you know, those kind of like the counterpoint, ESPN yeah, commentators, right? Kind of bitches about, right? Is that uh, the players have too much power? Um, they're doing too much. They're not thinking about basketball. They're on court play. They're thinking about their brand or their uh, appeal to like China or Europe or South America, or whatever. Yeah, very good. Like focusing on like. Oh hey, why don't I like make some free throws so our team doesn't get destroyed in the second round? Cough, cough, and bead. Well, speaking of free throws, the NBA G League is going to start a rule where instead of doing uh, one point free throws, they have just a singular two point free throw on foul shots. Uh, it seems really strange to me. I don't know who is asking for this rule, I, but. Uh, I'm like, uh, I guess it's a nice place to try it out, but man, that feels weird. Yeah, I do like the fact that the G League has basically become an incubator for uh, rule changes. Um, yeah, I don't really know where the motivation for it to be a one point, or I guess two point one shot type thing is, but that basically just makes it like a regular basket. I mean, it makes it simpler, but then, like, and ones, like, those are different, and then three-point shots, I mean, it's so strange. Yeah. I guess it penalizes, like, poor free-throw shooters more, right? Because now missing that yeah, one that, is yeah, worse. Yeah, that, like, second chance, yeah. And then, like, end of games, like, intentionally missing feels way worse, or almost feels not a thing anymore. I don't know. I still kind of like the idea that it's just you get one shot, it's one point. Because, it's undefended, you know. Yeah, exactly, right? There's no contest in it. I mean, I understand there's the pressure of actually having to make it in front of, like, all your peers and TV and blah, blah, blah. blah. But it is actually, like, genuinely uncontested. <laughs> um, and, you know, I know that they've sped up the amount of time that you can be 
like your um your free throw like preparation like obviously that has been sped up but otherwise like you still get like a decent amount of time to uh you know like find your center yeah i mean i personally think they should do the one and ones like college but you know and that seems like a better middle ground to me i don't know i still don't like the one-on-ones because it just gets confusing because then it's like all right what time in the game do you switch from the one-on-ones to like you know you just get two free throws and um i don't know it seems like a weird thing to change it just seems like who was asking for this you know some analytics dudes yeah probably and then uh speaking of asking for this uh the resounding student body of california student athletes have actually are now able to get endorsements and agents and all that jazz because california has signed that bill if i'm not mistaken allowing their student athletes to make money just like normal players pretty much yeah so i mean my understanding is that Mostly, it's tied to the uh, like the branding side of like an athlete, right? Like the the likeness, correct? Um, which seems like they—it's almost like how they kind of just wanted to try out this idea. I mean, obviously, they're not like trying it out, but it is—you know—they could have gone full on like you just outright pay them, but instead they kind of went for this like uh, middle ground. Mm. yeah i don't know what do you think do you you think this destroys college sports now i think it's crazy when you look at you're saying okay well the colleges aren't paying them but the shoe companies are or the gatorade is or whoever and you look at i mean like luka Doncic's contract is like three million a year but he made 70 or no i think it was 50 million last year off his nike deal so it's like, holy shit, like maybe that's actually the better half of the deal to get is don't let the colleges pay for it, let the companies pay for it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where they're going with it, right? Because it's so much so much of it is based on the the image of the athlete. Um But it know, disproportionately whatever. helps the top ten athletes rather than like the top one hundred. Because, you know, not all college athletes are getting that Nike deal oh, or the Gatorade deal. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is clearly geared towards, uh, like, your top football and basketball. Lottery picks, pretty much, yeah. But, I mean, is that any different than how it was going to go anyway? And... I mean, in some respect, you know, maybe this cleans up the game a little bit. Because, I mean, college sports makes, I don't know, how much does the NCAA make? Like, $10 billion? They're non-profit. They don't make any money. There? <laughs> all right how much do they generate in revenue <laughs> about 10 billion or so yeah i, I know somewhere mean. around there yeah just cut them so some of the tv money you know well, where the fuck is that money going you know why is it that like you know there's actually a couple of years ago right when we were at state i tried to uh track down one of our fees it was like one of those uh hundred and like ten dollar fees or something um and straight up i went to like the uh records and registration and they like threw me into like all these like different uh account groups or whatever and they straight up could never tell me where that money was going oh of course it's just like some black hole yeah. somewhere so i can't imagine where fucking 10 billion dollars is uh dropping out they just take that uh notion from government contracts man that money just goes fucking anywhere uh, what do you think the uh ncaa will do in response to california Dude, I think, think they're like going to put a little ban or do you think they'll 
Yeah, I honestly think they should. Oh, you think they should like go nuclear on this? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see some action happen. Because it feels like if you do that, like every other state's gonna come and be like, "Yeah, you can, you guys can play here," and they just have to blow up the whole NCAA. So what's? Do you think? Do you think California uh, specifically did this? Not necessarily for this to be the solution, but this to prompt the NCAA to take action in hopes that eventually it leads to a solution. I think so. I think that's what they were thinking is, uh, Hey, this is like shoving our foot in the door and like breaking one of the door hinges already. You know, you have, you have to do something after this because now you have an uneven recruitment field and like, I think it was LeBron, you know, he was interviewed about this yesterday and he said, you know, if I had gone to college, you know, Ohio State in 04, I would have been on the cover of the NCAA video game and had my jersey printed everywhere and I wouldn't have gotten a single penny for it. Mm. And he's totally right, which is like bonkers because they would have made so much money off him. But like, yeah, I mean, it's like you kind of like that and with this climate of uh, down with mega corporations and the 1% and everything, it's like. I don't think there's many people in the general public that are against this rule. So I would think most, I'd say you could probably get another like 10 States to buy in like right now. And then like, I heard Georgia was on the uh, next, like up on the list for this kind of thing. So how do you think this would have uh, affected the game? If let's say last year when Zion blows out his shoe that he basically um had something along this line where he was getting some type of like compensation off his likeness how do you think that would have factored in yeah that would have been huge even, like because that was a big thing and that would even have like the whole idea of the money part right i mean or not the direct money right it was all like um pushed off to eventually when he would sign an nba contract as like does he come back and get some injury and all that kind of stuff well not only that but you think now you know, there was that one guy on ESPN got a 20-minute segment about him saying he's going to go play in Australia because he can make money there. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So this actually helps keep the talent in America, which is kind of important if you want the NCAA to be the premier amateur league. <laughs> so where do you think the NBA is standing on this? Do you think they're, they're trying to basically secretly squeeze out the ncaa right g league and yeah usa and, and all I mean, that this, stuff it's kind of a move do you think the nda would be siding on the ncaa side or the california side i think they would side i think adam silver's pro california in this case i think he's too i think he i think he would realize that if these uh, like 18, 19 year olds are going to go looking out for, uh, you know, like brand, brand aid and um, like agents and stuff. We'll turn to the NBA a little bit because then the NBA can create like an agent infrastructure. Yeah. And, and they can already, I mean, think about it. If you're 18 or 19 and you have a fan base already because you've been able to sell your likeness, then when you get to the NBA, it just multiplies even bigger. And then that's more, Eyes watching you, more news coverage, is more press for the NBA. So, 
I mean, look at how much the NBA loves uh, like F5 season. And if you could factor that into now with the lottery and stuff, like, I mean, you're really jam-packing in the months. Well, even with guys like, you know, when Lonzo got drafted, we were talking about his two brothers before they were even in college yet. And, you know, his one brother went over to uh, Australia, I think, and now we're talking about him. He's getting hyped up for the draft, you know? Mm. And then I think the other, the the small tinfoil hat conspiracy behind this <laughs> is this, I believe this rule takes full effect in 2023, which yeah, would right. be... Brawny? Brawny, yeah. Oh! Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that would be that year. <laughs> so that, that's my little tinfoil hat. But uh, let's hop into the, the meat of the hour here, and that is team previews for the upcoming season now. Some nice little folks over at uh, ESPN and 538 have already done their upcoming sort of uh, – season rankings where where all the teams are going to fall and they've based these off of different things like we've got a bpi metric ranking that basically gives it off of a win uh, score differential sort of thing and we also have a carmelo ranking that factors in a couple other things but gives uh like team power levels uh their their records for their conferences as well as their percentage of making the finals or winning the finals which is pretty unique to look at uh some of these teams have like a good chance of making the finals but a bad chance of winning it which is kind of surprising and vice versa so uh me and Michael did our homework here and we have put together a four-tiered structure of uh teams we have based these off of the titles of uh, Lottery, Fringe, Second Round, Conference Finalists, and Ring Contenders. I guess that's five brackets. Whoops. <laughs> I can't count for some reason. Uh, and a lot of these are pretty obvious, but uh, you know, a couple teams kind of ride the line, ride like the, the bubble between lottery and fringe or second round and ring contenders or vice versa. So uh, I believe the easiest way to start this out is we unanimously say what the worst team in the NBA will be next year. No questions asked. Uh, so Michael, who is your, who is your, your number one lottery pick for next year's draft going to be with 14%. Cleveland? Yeah, it's got to be Cleveland, right? They got to get the number one pick, right? Yeah, I think I had Cleveland. <laughs> As the conspiracy's uh... back, the Cleveland Cavaliers <laughs> with another number one pick at 14%. So, why, why'd you pick Cleveland? So, let's talk about Cleveland for a second. So, important players that they lost, right? So... Cleveland Jared lost J.R. Smith, obviously. Uh, they Kyle lost Corver. Kyle Corver from last year. Channing Fry retired, which, sure, he was old, but, you know, he's a good player still. Tyler uh, is a coach. Yep, Tyler is a coach. And most importantly, the only notable player they gained was Darius Garland from the draft, which is the same position as Colin Sexton, <laughs> who you drafted the year before. So... You have a now you have a young guard logjam 
as well as you have an impending Kevin Love question. So let's just let's just talk about this for a second. So Cleveland's starting lineup. What the heck does this even look like? Uh, their combination of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland is going to be their backcourt. I don't think it matters which one is a one, which one is a two. Um, I think Sexton is slightly smaller, so I guess he'd be the one and Garland would be the two. Uh, I don't know. Three would probably Chetty Osman, power forward Kevin Love, and then center Tristan Thompson. Yeah, I think I had something similar. Uh, I think I had a little bit of a bigger lineup of like Sexton, Clarkson, Osman, Nance Jr., Love, maybe a little more. Uh, That's true. The lineup, okay. I, yeah, the lineup I mentioned is a very small ball heavy. Yeah. So. And then you look at their bench. I mean, they have uh, Brandon Knight, who's somehow still in the league, and Della Vadova, who somehow is still in the league, and uh, dunk champion Larry Lance Jr. wasn't really a dunk champion. Uh, so the big question here is, Kevin Love, you know, the LeBron leftover. We've already lost Corver. We've already lost J.R. Smith. Boston Mon Shumpert. You know, it's really core or I'm sorry, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, and uh Del Vadova are really like the last three guys from the LeBron years. So who bites on the LeBron leftovers? Uh I mean I think Kevin Love has value. Um just because he can stretch the floor. The problem is he's got that massive contract, right? So this upcoming year it's about twenty nine million. Then 31 million, then 31 million, then 29 million. So uh, that's like 120 million, which is a fuck ton of money to give to a dude who is. Let me Google how old Kevin Love is. He's getting up there. He's 31. So he'd be 35 at the end of this $120 million contract, which seems fucking insane for a dude who can't. I mean, he can only really offer you stretch four offense. Questionable defense. He's not the Minnesota Kevin Love that was like a one-two punch anymore. He's more of like your third option. I'm not even sure how well his rebounding is. I mean, I'm sure it's probably still good, but I mean, you know, that last year in Minnesota, I mean, he was legitimately putting up like a 24 and 12. Yeah. I mean, we were saying he was better than Blake Griffin sometimes, and that, that was like prime Griffin, too. Um, so what team makes the most sense for Kevin Love? Oof, that's, that's a tough one because, you know, we've, we are now locked into the dynamic duo era of the NBA. So somebody has to decide, fuck our depth. We're just going to go, you know, big three pretty much and hope for the best. Yeah, last year we were talking about teams like uh, Portland maybe needing that stretch four, especially once uh, Nurkic went out. It kind of made a lot of sense. Uh, Still kind of makes sense this year. Uh, Guys like mm, maybe the Wizards before, you know, John Wall got injured made a little bit of sense. You you know, they kind of had a problem with stretch bigs there as well. Um, What do you think about Brooklyn? Brooklyn could use, you know, 
some big man shooting right now they have very little <laughs> i don't know like here's my problem is like we're, we're, we don't know exactly who's gonna be the first one to say fuck we're in a tailspin let's get someone real fast kind of thing like there's almost a little bit of a race here to who's gonna who's gonna like stop the staring contest and call up the Cavs first. All right, so let's say you're Minnesota and you're already fucked by Andrew Wiggins. Why not just double down and take Kevin Love back? So your three is Andrew Wiggins, your four is Kevin Love, your five is Cat. Uh, you got Robert Covington, and I'm sure I'm probably missing somebody, but I mean, there you go. I mean, like that's an expensive team. But it might be the best team that they've had in a while. Yeah, but like, <laughs> does that team that team like is the eighth seed still right? Like, like yeah, but the West is like a fucking gauntlet anyway. I mean, unless you have like a top fourteen guy, you're probably not making like your chances of making the West are pretty slim anyway. Yeah. Eh. Hmm. Be a nice way for him to retire after that contract. Just kind of welcome him back to Minnesota. Maybe grab Rubio, you know, once he doesn't work out with the Suns, and then just retire them both together in a couple of years. Find Pekovic somewhere in, in Siberia. Bring him back too. So who is your second uh, worst team? By the way, oh. these are all lottery teams that we're discussing, or lottery slash fringe. I know we had a little bit of a... I got one more juicy question for the Cavs. Oh, okay. No, no, go for it. Can this be anything except the worst record team this year? Is there a way that this team is somehow not the worst team in the league? Yes. Has to do with the Charlotte Hornets being the worst team in the league. Okay, good. That was that was my segue. So the Hornets are the are the I'd say like to be tied for the worst team in the league, maybe maybe just slightly better. I, I only give them the edge simply because of uh, how their division is constructed, whereas Cleveland would have to play Indiana, Detroit, Milwaukee a bunch of times. Like Charlotte gets to play like the Wizards, the Hawks, the Magic, Miami, which seems like a better uh, lineup. Yeah, so it seems like they can squeeze a few more get- wins out. The Hornets are also the uh, biggest uh, lottery winners, probably. Uh, but knowing their luck, they'll draft a big white dude that ends up busting in a couple years. Anyways, uh, big big losses this year for the Hornets. Of course, Tony Parker retired. Uh, Kemba Walker got moved to Boston. Pretty big trade there. As well as uh, Frank the Tank and Jeremy Lamb both moved on to other places. In response, they gained... Rozier and drafted PJ Washington and Cody Martin. Caleb Martin, right? No, I'm pretty sure it's Cody. Ah, oh, shit. I, I wrote down Caleb. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so now your starting lineup is, I believe it's Terry, Scary Terry, Moist Monk, Washed Up Batum, uh, Williams, and Biombo. Like, uh, I could see you sliding in Miles Bridges, moving Batum up to the four, and then Hernan Gomez at the five, maybe. Um, I could also see a 
way that they throw out Cody Zeller. But this is also assuming that this is a lineup that they actually want to win games. If they're going full-on tank mode, I mean, I think you throw out Biombo, Dwayne Bacon, MKG, Marvin Williams, and Terry Roger. So this team has to be nothing but just a full tank team, right? I mean, you just gave Terry Rozier an, an immense contract and told him to play 48 minutes a night. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can I can possibly see of why they would think that they put together a good team is at least they have continuity with Monk, Batum, MKG, Bridges, Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller, Hernan Gomez. Like, outside of point guard, they at least do have some continuity, which, you know, maybe they'll be like an Orlando or something where they, where they just kind of sneaky climb their way out into, like, um, the bottom of the East. This kind of does feel like a three-year-ago Orlando. It feels very anonymous um, to the point that I don't think Charlotte will get a televised game at all this year. And I'm not sure how many people will even be able to tell you any players who play for Charlotte. Ooh, yeah, who they play for, starring the Charlotte Hornets. So I think two of the most important pieces on this team are are Bridges, obviously your draft pick from last year, as well as Monk, who is supposedly a really promising player. So is this maybe the year that we kind of just give them the keys and say, hey, let's figure out what your value is, and then maybe they get traded somewhere? So maybe for a big stats, kind of bad team, and then a, a off to better pastures next year kind of thing for Bridges and Monk? Uh, yeah, if the Hornets had competent management, but, I mean, the Terry Rozier contract, right? So, you can't really justify the contract and not let Terry Rozier be the focal point of the team. When we're talking about the Hornets, they can do whatever they want. That doesn't make sense. Who do you think will have uh, the more Devin Booker type of season? Devin Booker or Terry Rozier? <laughs> Terry Rogier, I bet. He'll get double teamed in pickup, man. That'll be a rough one. Okay, so so my my big question here is uh you know, obviously we've talked about this Batum contract like a hundred times and it's just almost as bad as like John Wall. Yeah, like it's it's bad. So <laughs> So my question is, are the Hornets the most depressed fan base at this current moment? You know, you just lost your homegrown star player for basically nothing in return. You've drafted kind of shit. You lost Frank. You lost Lamb. Tony Parker retired out of nowhere. You know, I don't think so. Because I think a lot of Hornets fans, you know, back in their mind, I think they knew that Kemba was probably going to leave. Um, whereas... The Knicks got completely fucked by not winning the lottery, not getting Kevin Durant, not getting Kyrie. I mean, just a swing and a miss on every single possible thing. They traded away Christoph Porzingis for basically, you know, pennies on the dollar. I would say the Knicks are probably the most depressed out of all of them. Whereas at least the Hornets sort of, um, you know, it's almost like they were hydroplaning. 
they didn't have so any they have expectations. Control. <laughs> they have control, but they knew, but they they know that they're like a lost cause. Yeah, I I would have to agree with that statement. I would just say that it's the like the Knicks got blindsided by math. I still feel like the Knicks have a little bit of hope. I just feel like the Hornets. It's like our best player is Terry Rozier. That feels pretty bad. <laughs> like, but I think I think there's a sense of acceptance with it, and for that reason, I don't think it can be true on de- like depression. Depression. Okay. So speaking of depressed fan bases, uh, perfect segue into the most depressed fan base, <laughs> the team that lost everything and gained nothing, the team that New York didn't deserve. And that is the New York Knicks, of course. Next up, I just happen to be picking all East teams for some reason. Uh, <laughs> Coincidence? Oh. So the Knicks obviously had a pretty big overhaul last year. Uh, some of their bigger losses were uh, they lost Emmanuel Moutier, Mario Hazonia, uh, DJ, and Noah Vonley. And in response, of course, they drafted RJ Barrett and didn't actually get their big three uh, they were hoping for, but they got, you know, just a slew of power forwards they overpaid for, like Gibson, Randall, Portis, and Morris. Uh, so now you have a team with four power forwards. They're paying over $20 million a year. And so the likely starting lineup I would see for the Knicks, and uh, it's almost similar to yours. It's a little bit smaller. I have uh, DSJ... Frankie Nilakina, RJ Barrett, because you got to start him. Kevin Knox, because you got to start him. And then either Randall or Robinson at the five. Yeah, basically, I knocked off Natilakina and then moved everybody down. So Randall at the four and Mitchell Robinson at the five. Yeah, I, I just put him in there because he had the really good showing at FIBA. And I'm like, uh, you know, maybe if he's not the primary ball handler, he'll actually play well kind of thing. Um, so my big question here, and I think not only are we DSJ fans here and Kevin Knox fans, but my biggest bright spot on this team is actually Mitchell Robinson. You know, he's, he's a pretty underrated center. And while he fouls the shit out of people really bad, it's going to say he's got tree trunks for limbs, man. Um, dude, he's like fucking lights out in the video game, man. Like this dude, <laughs> He's like like Ricky or Miles Turner good. Like I mean, he's pretty solid. Like I'm almost convinced he's going to get on third team all defense. Oh, what? Yeah, I mean, look how bad this team is defensively. It would be the perfect time for him to average like two blocks. I don't know if he can cover the like a perimeter player though. Like nowadays in order to make uh all NBA defense, you have to have an ability to cover a perimeter player at least a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. But if you average two and a half blocks a game, I mean that's you know that makes up for a lot of wrongdoings. Uh, so so my real question here is, we have lots of talent on this team, but not a lot of fit. So who out of the sort of young core, you know, the DSJ, Frankie, RJ, Kevin Knox, uh, who has the breakout season? Um. You'd probably almost want to say anybody but RJ Barrett in a way, only because I think DSJ is going to be looking for the spotlight. 
probably looking for another team. So this is like an audition year. Same thing with Knox. Same thing with Mitchell Robinson, like you're saying. I think a lot of these guys, it's they're they know that they're probably not going to be part of the Knicks long term. So they're trying to rev up their trade value as much as possible. Kind of feels like the Lakers from a couple years ago, like sort of the D'Angelo Russell years, where it's like none of these guys are going to stay around, really. Um, yeah, you just have that vibe that the way the team is presently constructed is not the way it's going to be, you know, probably even 18 months from now. Yeah, so then my, my other question is, do you say, all right, fuck it, we're going to tank and play all of our rookies? Or do you say, hey, we just paid $100 million to three power forwards. Do we play them instead? Um, I think since James Dolan is at the helm, I think he's been turned off by the whole tank, tankapalooza. And I think he's going, he's going to give it the good old James Dolan try, which isn't really anything, which is why we have them as like one of our bottom teams gunning for the lottery. And I think this is one of those where the Knicks aren't even intentionally trying to tank. They're just not very good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very worried about their defense, honestly. I think their defense is going to be a bottom three very easily. I I just don't know how they generate any type of excitement or buzz or just interest. You know, I mean... They'll have some good highlight reels. I mean, you got DSJ and Randall. They'll dunk on people. Like, that's exciting, but they ain't winning games. So I've actually got two spicy questions here to ask you. The first one is, will the Knicks at any point during the season play five out with all power forwards? No. You don't think they'll do it? No, DSJ is, DSJ is getting 38 minutes a game, dude. It's his year. It's his D-Rose year. I want to see it. Uh, and the second one is, how many people uh, do you think Bobby Portis will punch while in New York City? <laughs> Knowing that his teammates include Marcus Morris <laughs> and Julius Randle, <laughs> and they all play the same position. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not going to expect uh, someone's going to have a broken hand midseason, and we're going to be like, "That's how, uh, yep, we, yep, that's how that happened." <laughs> he goes on like Letterman, goes on like the new, like Saturday Night Live, just breaks fucking, like, his fist on the, the mug. Shit out yeah. Of, like, yeah. <laughs> just like. Uh... <laughs> Jimmy Fallon, always with the broken hand, just like Bobby Portis. Speaking of broken, the most broken team in the in the East, the Washington Wizards, also in our lottery bracket. Or actually, I think you had them in fringe bracket. I did. I actually have them fringe. I'm a, I'm an optimist here. All right. Um, so, but but make the case for why you think they're going to be lottery. Let's just yet again. set this up right here. So. The Wizards also had a pretty big overhaul. Uh, they lost in really in crucial players like Thomas Sadoransky, Jabari Parker, Trevor Ariza, uh, Bobby Portis, Dwight Howard. I mean, that's that's a pretty big lineup you're losing there. And in response, you're gaining... You drafted Roy Hachimura. Everyone's potential steal the draft. 
Uh, you got Davis Bertans from the Spurs. Good pick, in my opinion. You got Mo Wagner from, from uh, the Lakers. And then you have Isaiah Thomas, the comeback season. And uh, CJ Miles and Isaac Bunga and uh, Ish Smith. Like, what a great compilation of bronze tier players that you got in return. Uh, so, the starting lineup, of course, being John Wallace until February, I think, maybe January. Probably the entire season. I think they're just going to write him off. Not a bad idea. Uh, so it's probably like IT4, Bradley Beal, uh, maybe like Hachimura, Bertans, Bryant. Yeah, I mean, I, I had Wagner uh, over Bertans, but basically the same lineup. Um, it really wouldn't surprise me if Bertans was starting over Wagner. I, I, I really could not. They're about the same thing. One. Yeah, Space exactly. Four. I, yeah. I don't know who brings more to the table. Um, it might just be a fit issue or a you know a matchup type type situation, but so, here, so. Here, here's why I don't think they're good. Yeah, okay. Uh, you're starting it four, which means you have no perimeter defense. Uh, your three four defense is also very suspect, picking guys like Wagner, Bertans, C.J. Miles, uh. Hachimura might be really good, but he's got to get some some beef on those bones. Uh, the one thing I will say, uh, besides your weird collection of floor-stretching bigs, is Thomas Bryant is also sneaky good, in my opinion. Like, I don't know. I really like him, too. Like, him and Mitchell Robinson, I really like both of them for no fucking reason. Um, but my problem is, is end of games... You know, you get to the playoffs. It's the Bradley Beal show. And last year, that didn't look very good, in my opinion. Like, I don't know how he evolves to be a Harden in, in the fourth quarter or, like, you know, a Dame in the fourth quarter. I'm just not seeing the super elite-level playmaking. So, my entire case for why I think the Wizards have a chance at making... Uh, the seven eight spot in the East is entirely dependent on Bradley Beal. Uh, going into the season, he knows that there, John Wall is basically just off the table. He doesn't even have to like bother thinking about whether or not John Wall is going to be here, right? And then Bradley Beal is twenty six, going on twenty seven, and that means he's just about to enter his prime, his NBA prime, and that's a good spot to be in on a team that. Nobody's going to question whether, you know, is he the guy? Is John Wall the guy? It doesn't fucking matter. John Wall's not there. Everybody knows this is Bradley Beal's team. And then I do like the addition of Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I think we're going to see something, not quite what he had in Boston, obviously. I think the hip is still going to be a like a just a persisting issue for the rest of his career. But Isaiah Thomas does well when his partner in the backcourt can cover for him defensively and Bradley Beal can definitely do that because he's a fucking huge two guard. So I think it's just one of those where everybody on the team knows the the pecking order, right? They know it's like going to be Bradley Beal who's going to get the first uh, first shot. Isaiah Thomas probably second shot. You know, Hachimura, Bryant, Wagner, Bertans, you know, everyone kind of knows who they are, where they're going to go. And then the East is pretty soul shit. 
Mm. I mean, who's to say whether or not Kyrie's knees are going to even like last this year? You know, maybe with Kevin Durant being out, Kyrie has to do so much that it takes out a toll on his knees, and then boom, we have a spot opening up. You know, and what's uh what's with Oladipo's health? I mean, he's probably not coming back till around All Star break. So, you know, if they can get out to a decent start, I think Washington has a chance to make it to the playoffs. Yeah, you're you're saying that Bradley Beal has to turn into James Harden. No, I don't think he has to be James Harden. I think he just has to be a top 15 player. So he's going to make the All-Star game. Yeah, and I think he has to be like an All-NBA type player, which I think he I think he could definitely do. I think he's basically been on the, you know, kind of the 15 to like 18 best player in the league range for the last three years. And he's about to hit his prime, and I think that matters. Okay. I, I don't agree with you. Um, I think the big question for this team is what the hell do they do going forward? No matter what happens this year, they have a lot of questions to answer. What they're going to do with John Wall. How are they going to improve this roster? Because this is now three oh, years new in GM. a row. I also forgot. New GM. Three years in a row now where they uh, have just retooled everybody around these two, and that's not really working. So uh, I'm not very enthusiastic about them but who knows maybe it4 will bring it back he has you know 80 percent of his celtics year i could see it i don't know i just think this this franchise gets a bit of a lift with a new gm who if nothing else might at least give him you know just like a new a new a new spark you know it doesn't even have to be like anything great but I do think the idea that Bradley Beal can go into the season knowing that he is the man and, he, and it's unquestioned and then the GM, you've kind of got a bit of a reset. Maybe, you know, Scott Brooks and the GM kind of come up with something new here. Maybe something's a little bit fresh about this team, but I mean... Or you just trade Bradley Beal and you tank the yeah, whole season. Yeah, I mean, what, is, what, the, what the fuck is Bradley Beal's <laughs> trade value? I, I think it's got to be pretty fucking high, though. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of trade value being pretty high, uh, another lottery team with a elite two guard, the Phoenix Suns, the only team that's gotten worse every year they've drafted this player. That's Devin Booker. So, uh, let's talk about what happened to the Suns. They lost Jimmer Fredette, of course. Uh, they lost Dragon Bender. Justin Jackson, TJ Warren, Rashawn Holmes. And in return, they gained Ricky Rubio, Dario Sarge, Frank the Tank, Aaron Baines. Okay, that doesn't seem so bad. Uh, so now you've got this starting lineup of, uh, you know, Rubio, Booker, Oubre, Dario, DeAndre Ayton. And then you've got like Bridges and Crawford as like your six men. Uh, it doesn't seem that bad. Like, okay, this might be the the best Phoenix team in a while. Uh, however, Rubio and Booker don't play defense, like, at all. Like, zero. And uh, Oubre isn't the greatest either. Neither is Bridges or Crawford. Uh, and neither is Frank. So I'm very concerned about this team's defense minus DeAndre Ayton. Uh, okay. What, what, what do you think? So that, that starting five that you just rolled off. All right, keep everybody in mind except scratch out at the two guard Booker and replace with Bradley Beal. 
So it'd be Rubio, Beal, uh, Ubre, Saric, Aiton. Now, don't you think that's a pretty like? I think that's a better fun, team. Interesting, <laughs> a contender, title type winning team right there. I mean, that's basically like on the cusp of dynasty level, right? No, it's it makes the playoffs though. I'll give you that. Exactly. So basically, by just putting in Devin Booker, you and I both think this team is gonna tank and tank fucking hard. I think, and the, I think we're basically backed up by the guys at five thirty eight and DraftKings and Wingate and all the other like betting slash analytics uh sites and things like nobody has belief in the suns and i think it boils down to devin booker so this is like the no excuse here for devin booker because now he has (laughs) an actual point guard shit ton of money uh a fuckload of money he has second year deandre ayton he actually has some some threes and fours that can shoot threes so he's gonna have space uh, really, I think the perennial problem with this team is a new coach every year that is shit, um, as well as, you know, are these, is Booker and Aiton like, are they just going to be the good stats, bad team knock of the decade? Like, I feel like right. Devin Bookering your team needs to be a phrase. All right, so alt- alternative take here. What if Devin Booker has just been untapped? What if he's never been able to get the right coach pairing to unlock his potential? What if Devin Booker is actually like secretly one of the top eight players in the NBA? It's just that the management is so poor that he can't get it going. That's what they say about Towns, but you know, Minnesota's been fucked too. So I honestly think so. Like, I think Booker's really good. Like, if there's somebody that's like, as close to like a budget James Harden as you could get, like skill set gameplay wise, probably Devin Booker. Like play makes for himself, doesn't play defense, three ball dominant, you know, contact averse. Um But that team works because of different reasons than the way this team is constructed. Um I think the better question is right now, you can only keep Aiden or Booker, which one do you keep? I think I'm taking Booker. I want to keep I think Aiden, I'd rather dude. Keep the guard. I think Aiden's better. I don't. I don't know if I really believe in Aiden. I I know that like towards the end of last year he started putting it together, but I just I don't really know what I'm going to get out of DeAndre Aiden. This is At the Kobe Booker, and Shaq of the future, get. man. Oh boy! All right, how many games into the season before we write off Phoenix? Christmas. <laughs> Could you imagine if they gave Phoenix a Christmas Day game? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give All it right. until Christmas. All right, I'm done talking about this team. Let's move on. All right, so we've got. I've got. Uh, let's see. Where is the next team that we have? in the lottery that is a team we just alluded to the minnesota timberwolves team that has perennially fucked themselves with not only a bad contract but good stats bad team players so players they lost this year tyus jones Derek rose darius sarge todd gibson pretty solid cast there jimmy butler yeah jimmy butler they uh Gained perennial all-star Shabazz Napier, Jordan Bell, Noah Vonley, Jared Culvert. It's a really solid draft pick. So now you've got this uh, 
I think your starting lineup looks something like Teague, Culver, Wiggins, Vonley, and Towns. Maybe you have a Koji in there as your two guard. Sneaky's really good defensive player. Um, but yet again, we're back to the question of what the fuck do we do with <laughs> Andrew Wiggins and how do we get rid of him? How do we beg teams to take Andrew Wiggins? Oh boy, I don't even know if there's a way of doing it. Um, it's weird because Wiggins actually really does ruin this roster setup um, because you have Robert Covington who you could put in at like a 2-3. Uh, Wiggins also basically is a 2-3. Culver's also basically a 2-3. Um, so you basically have all these guys kind of stacked together. Um, and what they really need is a point guard because Jeff Teague's not going to do it. Like... And a four. Because they have Jordan Bell. And I don't know. I guess you could put in Jake Lehman. But they just have too many question marks on the roster. Right? I mean, definitively every night. Or, like, you know, imagine what your closing lineup needs to be. It probably needs to be Cat. You probably want Covington out there. You'd probably want Teague because he can create his own shot and maybe a Kogi for defense. Yeah. Uh, but that that doesn't seem like it leaves you with enough scoring, which is the problem. So I don't think this team has anything really going for it offensively. And I think defensively, they have some good spots uh, with like Covington and a Kogi and stuff. But I think they have some like huge uh, blind spots with Wiggins and Jordan Bell and Cat. Well, Cat's okay on defense, but he's not really a... Uh... I don't know if you can count on it in like a crunch time situation. Yeah. You know, I think he's a good help defender, but I don't know if... You know, if you need him to get a stop, is he going to get you that stop? Probably not. So, I think this team is the one that I'm already ready to write off as like almost the exact same as last year with just we're going to hit more drama stories as the year goes on again. Like, I have very little faith that this team's actually going to look any different. Like, I have zero intention of watching any Minnesota games. So you have zero faith that Carl Anthony Towns and Robert Covington can carry this team into the top eight in the West? Yeah. Is, uh, so is Towns, is Carl Anthony Towns the Devin Booker of Minnesota? No. Carl Anthony Towns has at least proven himself on some level by being pretty close to a top 15 player over the last two years. And he's at least made the playoffs. So he's the only bright spot on this team, right? I like Akogi, but again, that's like a that's like a role player kind of guy, right? Like that's not a guy that I mean, unless he fucking develops into like the next Kawhi or something, but um I think he's phenomenal on like defense. And I think that's that that's meaningful in the West, which is very stacked at the guard level. Um like if Minnesota's playing Houston, Akogi versus Harden, I'm I'm kinda interested in that. Yeah, you know, Kogi versus Westbrook, I'm kind of interested. But the problem is that, you know, who are you rolling out in order to get you points outside of Cat? I don't know. I mean, if Cat bulks up like a like a Giannis or like a Anthony Davis style, maybe then I'm a bit more interested. But So we've got another lottery team here. Pretty obvious lottery team, if I had to say so myself. That is the Memphis Grizzlies, yet again. In the lottery mix, 
couple couple uh, important players they lost. Uh, Avery Bradley going to the Lakers. Mike Conley going to the Jazz. Chandler Parsons, they got rid of that one somehow. Uh, <laughs> and guys like uh, Wright, Miles. They gained uh, guys like Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder. They also lost uh, NBA champion and FIBA champion Marcus Hall. Oh, well, that happened in the middle of last year. I don't count that one. But more importantly, they gained Andre Iguodala, NBA Finals MVP Andre Iguodala. Uh, questionable if he actually plays or not for them, but <laughs> assuming he does not, because I'm pretty sure he is not going to be there very long. Uh, their starting lineup looks like a John ja Morant, uh, Brooks, Anderson, Triple J, and Jonas. Yeah, I mean, the only real spot I don't really know where they put is the two. Yes. Um, I sort of slotted in Tyus Jones, but I mean, literally anybody. I mean, maybe Kyle Anderson even. Uh, I don't know. But I do agree that with their four spot, it's Triple J and five is Valanciunas. I think that's unquestioned. I think John Moran at the point guard is also unquestioned. Um, I think this is probably the most optimistic shit team that we have on our list today. Yeah, I was um, just about to say that. I mean, you've got a really solid foundation right now and what is probably going to be John Morant as well as Triple J, who's grown two inches since last year. Yeah. And, and it's just like you got Valanciunas, who's just like a vet, who, you know, he just he just has like a work ethic. You know, he's just like, fuck it. I understand I'm in fucking Minnesota or Memphis where I've literally nothing to do as well as I'm on the shit team, but I'm going to fucking hustle my ass so that way hopefully the Spurs will take me. At the same time, however, the expectations are pretty low in terms of wins. I mean, this team's marginally better than the Hornets and the Cavs, right? Like, they're pretty bottom of the list. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, yeah, this is like a team where I'd be surprised if they were like a bottom three team, but I wouldn't be surprised if like they were the fifth worst team. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And if they really do want to tank, they have Grayson Allen just ready to go. Yeah, they've got great tank. They have great odds for the 20 draft. They've also kind of loaded up on draft picks. Um, my question here is, I mean, uh, sort of the spotlight's on Zion to be rookie of the year. However, is this a sneaky good way for John Morant to sort of hide on, uh, you know, a bad team, but pick up some really good stat averages? Maybe maybe have a rookie of the year campaign for John Morant. If Memphis can get close to about thirty seven, thirty eight wins, I'll believe it. What do you, what do you think? He's got to be like a twenty and ten guy. He's got to average a double double. I don't even think it's got to be twenty and ten. I think it's if he gets like eighteen and eight, and they pick up like thirty eight wins in the West. I think that I think that is a pretty solid case. All right, I like it. I, I'm I'm. I'm I don't think he has to like bit. blow everybody out of the water. I think it just has to be, oh shit, Memphis is like winning fifty percent more games than we expected from them. Yeah, yeah, I can dig it. I can dig it. I like that. It's a little. I like the odds here, the happiness, as well as whatever the fuck happens with Iguodala. I mean, his trade value is obviously very questionable, but the, you know, a lot of teams want somebody like him that are contending. We haven't talked about this in a while. What What do you think? How fast does he flip over, go somewhere else? I don't think he gets moved till the uh, trade deadline in the middle of the year. 
I think he holds out. I think Memphis holds out. Memphis, I think, should definitely hold out. There is value for Andre Iguodala, um, you know, more so than Kevin Love, who we talked about earlier. Um, probably not Bradley Beal, but I do think teams, particularly by the time, like, January sort of rolls around when people are, like, starting to think, like, they're, you know, trying to come up with, like, their trade trade machines and things. You're going to have some of these uh, contenders have a, like, a legit um, season, you know, like a very, like, um, you know, maybe Houston gets out to, like, you know, a really good start and is, like, contending for the number one spot in the West. And they think if they have Andre Iguodala, that'll shore up, like, their defensive patches, you know, in a way. Or, you know, maybe there's a team that's sort of floundering a little bit. Like, maybe Golden State's, like, floundering just a little bit and they're not sure if they're going to make the playoffs. So then they bite you know, a little too hard on Iggy just to bring him back, just to, you know, gel it together so they can make, like, a six seed. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be, like, I think it's gonna, I think teams are going to wait out, and I think Memphis is going to wait out. So you don't think he plays at all? You think they just load management him until the uh, trade deadline? I think he plays, but I think it's, I think it's, it's going to be, get the fuck out of John Moran's way. Don't get hurt, because that'll obviously kill his trade value. Yeah. Um, you know, bring in that veteran presence a little bit because you got a really young team here with Moran, Tyus Jones, yeah, Kyle Anderson, guy, right? Triple yeah. J. I mean, fuck it. You know, what if he turns Kyle Anderson to like his little protege or some shit? Yeah, yeah, be yeah. I like it. I like it. I like your take there. Uh, so I think we have one more lottery team before we wrap this up. Or we have one contention one as well, but the obvious choice here. And maybe the best lottery team in the East. Chicago Bulls? The Chicago Bulls. Yes, it is. So Chicago Bulls didn't really lose too much last year. They only lost Robin Lopez. And they gained a couple solid picks. They got Kobe White in the draft. They got Thad Young. And they got uh, MVP Sadoransky. So now you've got a really solid young core of uh, Kobe White or Chris Dunn. Zach Levine is sort of your star two guard. Uh, Thad Young or Otto Jr. playing your three. Markinen and uh, Wendell Carter Jr. being your big men. Uh, I, I kind of like this team. Like, it seems like they have really good potential at all of their spots. The only problem, and I'll say it again, their coaching sucks ass. Especially their defense sucks ass. Like, if you get in a pick and roll and it's Zach Levine and Laurie Markinen, that's a free bucket, like, every time, dude. Like, that's so not good. Uh, so that's what I'm worried about. Uh, and really my question is, is uh, you've got Kobe White, who's pretty popular, but you also have Chris Dunn, who's had a little bit of... Uh, drama around him so which one do you start it's a pretty big one on my list yeah this this point guard battle is really the the big question looming over the bull season right um my question was pretty much very similar to yours it was it was sort of just phrased a little bit differently it was who will start and who will finish as point guard for the bulls this season um you know do you think they give it to chris dunn to start out with and then if it doesn't take off, they swap in Kobe White, or do you think they just give the keys to Kobe White to begin with? Um, 
that's kind of the only real drama also with their roster. I think it's, you know, out of a bunch of these teams that we mentioned today, um, you know, I think it's pretty unquestioned. Zach Levine is, is the two and he's going to be, you know, the, the focal point of the offense, uh, marking in at the four, Wendell Carter Jr. at the five and probably Otto Porter Jr. Sneaking in ahead of bad young at the three. Um, it's a very kind of set roster. And then there's kind of the, the bench unit of like Sadaransky and uh, Archie Diacono and Thad Young, which is pretty solid actually, considering how young this team is like overall. Right. I mean, just, I don't even know who the oldest player on the team is Denzel Washington or Denzel Valentine. I mean, I think so. I think this average age is like 23. But yeah. So what are your thoughts on the, uh, the, the battle for who's the uh, Chicago Bulls point guard? I think it's Chris Dunn because I think they need all the defense they can get. And I think he's their best perimeter defender on that team, which is pretty sad. Um, Do you think this team can get out and run? Could they be they like a should high be flying? able to. Because if they're a high-flying offense, Kobe White makes more sense uh, at the point. It It totally does. And... I mean, this team's kind of geared for that. I mean, you've got two really fast guys at your one-two. I mean, all of your dudes can shoot threes. Um, you don't I really have don't a banger. The... Yeah, I just don't trust the coaching to be able to figure that out. Yeah, I think that's that was uh, on my bullet points here. Is lots of talent, but coaching is questionable. <laughs> I think I think people understand that there's really good assets here, and my question is is who is the most valuable asset on this team and who would get shipped to a winning team? Hmm. A lot of potential that we haven't fully realized yet. It might be Otto Porter Jr. He plays a three, but he can give you some perimeter defending. Maybe Wendell Carter Jr. Even, uh, my thing could is, be, is uh, could be Sadaransky, you know, bench guy, playmaker. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this team's untouchables are like Levine and Markinen, and maybe Kobe White if he plays well. But, like that feels bad to say because I really like Wendell. Like I was high on him last year. Um, and so I just uh, he it feels rough because. This team's paths to upgrades. There's not any time soon. It's kind of like, this is our team of the future. We're going to let them mature and hope that it works out. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like their roster actually kind of somewhat fits together. They just don't have enough um, experience or coaching. Yeah, exactly. But like in terms of the fit, it, it, you know, I, I can see these guys playing on the court together. Um, which is something that we can't really say about some of these other teams, right? Um, you know, like, if you think about, like, Charlotte, it's like, yeah, who's going to play, like, the three and the four? Or, you know, if you have the Knicks, it's like, which one of, you know, our million power forwards are we going to play? But, you know, this team, a lot, you know, very similar to Memphis, feels very, like, I understand kind of each player who's going to start, and then who's their kind of immediate backup um, outside of point guard, but uh, I don't know. Is this team even going to be fun to watch? 
I don't think they have very many televised games except for the fact that they're Chicago and right. Uh, yeah. Big market. And then obviously, you know, being a Michael Jordan's team. Right. So yeah, just... I, I'm going to watch some games, but probably only because it'll be the few times that they show like bulls Hornets or like bulls Knicks or like, could this, could this team be like an upset team where you have a team like uh golden state comes on the road to Chicago and they just get like, blown out or something you know could, could the team you know pick up wins against some of these western conference powerhouses as they come into chicago which you know you lose a game or two out in the wet you know in terms of the western uh seating and that could fuck you up for the playoffs i mean look at houston last year i think it could be and mostly because this is like the tail this is like zach Levine's verification year you know, he's had a couple <laughs> years off of his injury, you know, couple dunk champions. Okay. He kind of has the keys to the offense. You know, he doesn't have to be like the primary playmaker if Kobe White's there anymore, so he can run off screens and jazz. And, uh, you know, at this rate, I mean, he's still real young, you know, he's still got time to develop and all that stuff, but you really have to be considering, all right, he's starting to bake, you know, is is this is the path we want to go on or do we need to yeah think he's about basically at, yeah he's basically at the point where how he's gonna play is who he is now you know how much more development is there in his game i mean he's not close to his you know mathematical primes yet but you know it's it's kind of like okay you know if this is this isn't like an audition year but it's like the audition to the audition year you know like one year away from possibly being somewhere else Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a better way of putting it. And then we have two contentious picks left as our last lottery team. Uh, we disagree on this one. And that is the Atlanta Hawks and the New Orleans Pelicans. And this seems like a great time to leave off with a huge cliffhanger. Find out next time on Hard in the Paint Podcast which team we think is a lottery team and which team is a fringe team. We do thank you all for tuning in, of course. You can find us in the links below. We always love your questions, comments, and concerns. Again, thanks to Mountain Dew Black Label for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let us know what you think about the lottery teams for next year. Who do you think will secure that number one pick in the 2020 draft? We will catch you all next time.